0: welcome to Unsupervised Leadership, Season 3, Episode 7. And we're here today with a special episode. Isn't that right? Yeah.
1: So Kate and her brilliant ideas decided that we should just both interview each other. Like, why not? Why can't we just ask each other all these questions? So we have not set any Parameters of this, which is deeply concerning to me, on so many levels. <laughs> I kept it professional. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I'm sure you did. Um, and so we just decided this is what we were going to do. But everyone's probably wondering what we're drinking today, and we did tell everyone we we're going to switch it up from prosecco.
0: We did. I didn't though. I kept it the same. So, so Kate is. She's mm-hmm.
1: really holding strong that yeah. she's not going to be dissuaded, but I'm back to blue moon. Yeah. I'm not giving it up.
0: Okay, I like this for mm-hmm. you. I love blue moon, but I really like a blue moon in the middle of the summer with an ice cold glass when we're sitting outside. In the pool. Yeah, in the <laughs> pool. Like if <laughs> right. that's my spot, that's can okay. have a blue moon. Okay, good. So uh, what's been happening with you? Uh, let's see, nothing really. Mm-hmm. Living my best life, finishing our book, being mm-hmm. a principal, mm-hmm. going to school, being on a lot of committees. Great.
1: So let's go ahead and get our interview started. Okay. You this just,
0: episode was just us. Yeah, it's only you and I. Yeah. And we're gonna be Barbara Walters, but separately at different times. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Well then, um, I would like you to talk a little bit about what you're going to school to do and what you hope that is gonna lead into for yourself in the next year to five years.
0: Oh. This is a good question. So I'm currently going to school at St. Xavier. Um, actually, it's a lie. It's St. Francis. <laughs> it's University of St. Shit. Why did I say St. Xavier? I don't
1: know. You need to edit that out. You no, know, I'm gonna keep it now. What was I thinking? I don't know, one? but you have so many
0: great professors. They're all gonna be offended. They are gonna be offended. I just was <laughs> offensive. Sorry, guys. You wanna know what it is? My husband's going to a fundraiser for St. Xavier's baseball mm. team tonight. So that's mm-hmm. why I was thinking that. There's a lot of saints open here. There are yes. Everyone's so, saint. uh, Saint Francis to get my doctorate in um educational leadership. In the end of April, I'll have my superintendent endorsement, and I have like a year and a half to finish my dissertation. So, eventually, maybe I will become a superintendent, but it has to be the right place with the right people. Um, and I know that sounds bad because people probably think like, "Who are you to determine that?" But I think that I'm only going to go someplace where I feel like. They can embrace the style of leadership I have and that I can actually make an impact with the people I work for. On a scale of
1: one to 10, how much do you want to be a superintendent?
0: A 10. So what would that fit have to look like for you? It would have to be, A, I would need to see my administrative team. I'm really big into hiring quality people or pulling out strengths in people. So I feel like I'd need to trust the people that I can work with and really like them within a first couple of meetings. I feel like I have a good gut instinct about people. Like if Mm -hmm. I can work with them, if I think they're good at communicating, as long as they're good at communicating, we can get through anything. I really do think that. I feel like I would want a relatively smaller school district to start with, just because I think that you have the most impact there at first to figure out the systems and be able to actually be visible in all the schools that you're working in. <laughs> Cause I, I hate when people are like, I'm a superintendent, but I never see the kids and I never see the people and I never see the schools. So I don't like that personal preference.
1: Have you ever felt judged professionally? All the time. In what way? <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's multiple ways. My okay. age for one. Okay. I think people Think it's odd that I'm a principal at my age. I sometimes get that from parents. I sometimes get it from teachers. I get it from people outside of education. I think people have a misconception that your age determines your ability to lead people, which I don't agree with or appreciate. Um, but I think how old are you? I am 33. Actually, funny story. I thought I was only 32 this whole year, and then <laughs> and then at Christmas I said to Tony man, I can't believe I'm going to be 33 next year. And he goes, what are you talking about? Like you're 33 right now. And I was devastated for two whole days. I was like, Oh my God. I felt like Joey from friends when he forgot how old he was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm still in my early thirties, which is fine. But Mm -hmm. I do think that sometimes people look at me and think, well, how much experience can you really have leading people and, you know, making decisions for the greater good. And I think that that is, comes in multiple, a variety of different ways.
1: Has there ever been a time in your career thus far that someone discriminated against you because of your age or maybe you experienced some type of age bias?
0: I think that happens a lot, but I think it happens in passing. Cause once I start talking to somebody, I'm a big, like, if I hear you say it, I'm going to talk with you about it right away. And that makes people feel very uncomfortable. So when I was an assistant principal, first of all, when I was a teacher, Interviewing to be an assistant principal. I interviewed it with a panel of people in my old school district and there was 14 people on the panel. Mm. And three of the people to be a teacher? To be an assistant principal. Oh, I was a teacher going to be an assistant principal. Three people on the panel were teachers in the middle school that I had worked in. And so before I got on, they were like, What are you thinking? You've been a teacher for nine years. There's no way you can be an assistant principal. Mm. So I went to the interview, knowing that they felt this way, which was totally fine. Was it men or women? Two were women and one was a man. Okay, So it was more women than men. Um, interviewed, I did a great job, left. I ended up not getting the job, which was totally fine, meant to be. I got a job as an assistant principal in another school in the same district. However, I left the next day. The one female that was on the committee or the panel came up to me and she said, you were the best person that interviewed that entire day. Mm. And she said, and I'm so sorry, because before you even came in, I was saying... There's no way she can be an assistant principal at this middle school. She's only been here, you know, less than 10 years. She needs another couple of years experience to be able to handle this. Hmm. And I started laughing because they ended up getting an assistant principal that didn't really work out where I was at. You know, I moved to a different school and it was great. I got the best experience. So I think things happen for a reason. So you got the job. Yeah. In a different school. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: What about when you were student teaching, moving into the Teaching realm for the very first time. Didn't you have a cooperating (laughs) teacher,
0: supervisor? What was that? So I actually almost left the teaching Mm. profession because of this. Mm. So I was placed in a student teaching position. I worked with a cooperating teacher who she was on a team of eight people and she got on the team and she hated every single coworker she worked with, all Mm. of them she hated. So she told me like, I took a student teacher because I wanted somebody to eat lunch with me and I wanted someone to just be in my room with me. But you're not to talk to any other teacher. We're not to collaborate. We do our own planning and we're not going in any other rooms, which I was like, this is odd. So I just did what I was told. She's in charge of me. I'm like working Mm -hmm. with her the whole time. So like two months in, a couple of the teachers had said, hey, we're going out after work. We're doing this like social committee thing. It was around Christmas time. I ended up going, she was so upset. She was like, I told you, you only are supposed to talk to me and report to me and work with me. Um, This is ridiculous. We need to address this right away. When you come back to work on Monday, I can't believe you would go knowing that these people are so mean to me and that they're not nice to me. And I didn't know what to do because I'm in college and I'm thinking, how am I supposed to respond to this? Mm -hmm. So I went to my college professor at the time to say how do you think I should handle this (laughs) like this seems more of a personal personnel issue than an education issue um and he was like that's odd like I'm gonna come in on Monday and have a conversation because the point is is that you network with other people meet with them see what they're doing get you know steal some of their craft to be able to make your own um she was then mad that I did that because she felt like I was telling on her So we ended up having this like serious conversation with my college mentor or whatever, supervisor, I guess. Um, Yeah, but I actually almost left education with that because Mm. I remember thinking, I'm gonna graduate this year and I'm not gonna go into teaching because if this is what teaching looks like, it's not for me. Because I'm just a very direct, like if you have an issue, you tell me, we talk about it, we move on. Mm -hmm. And that was a very roundabout way of doing that. Um, Funny story is I ended up getting, My teaching job there before I left my student teaching placement. So, I mean, we figured it out we worked it out and it was just more of a personal thing than it was anything else, but that was very odd. Hmm. What about the
1: lady that told you that you weren't going to be able to get a teaching job?
0: Because that (laughs) was shortly after, right? Yeah, that was shortly after. So I was in college and we had to go through an exit interview in order to officially graduate at the end of our undergrad um, program. And I had already gotten my job. So I had interviewed three times with the principal, assistant principal, another administrative team, and then the superintendent. So I got my job, signed my contract. I already solidified everything before the end of my class. So the end of my class, we had this exit interview, and this professor did not know that about me because she wasn't my professor during that semester. So you had to come in and you had to answer like three or four questions that they had asked, and then that was it. So she asked me three or four questions, and then at the end, it was their turn to give you feedback so that you could uh, potentially get a job or move on or whatever. And she had said, so I have to tell you, you're never going to get a teaching job because you sound like a valley girl. A valley girl? I I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> and she said, um, yeah, you know, the way that you talk. And I think that maybe you should go back and think about some of this. And I just think that your enthusiasm can get in the way of people thinking that you're competent. Um, she had a whole litany of things. And then at the end, I said, thank you so much for your feedback. I'm definitely going to think about that. But I do want to let you know, I already got a job. <laughs> which is my direct, but yet polite way of being like, yeah, okay. I'll figure this out on my own now.
1: Here's the double bird. Goodbye. Yeah.
0: But you know, I think about, she is a female in education that is in charge of shaping so many people's experiences Mm -hmm. and minds about going into an interview and thinking about the jobs they can have. And yet she was the very first person to be like, I'm going to take this 10 minute opportunity to cut you down and make you think you can't do it.
1: Mm right? Yeah, there's probably, well, actually, there's not just one opportunity there for you to said, peace out education. There's really two two. before you even got started.
0: Oh, yeah. My student teaching, I was like, this is wild.
1: (laughs) Can you think of a moment in your career that was a defining moment for you?
0: Oh, wow. I have a lot. So honestly, probably when I left my previous school district to work in Lamont, because I loved my previous school district. I loved the families. I loved the kids. I loved my staff. I had a really good thing going. And I interviewed with Courtney, actually. Mm. And I personally, I was living in Naperville, my boyfriend, now my husband, but at the time, my boyfriend and I were talking about getting engaged. So there was a lot of things up in the air. I interviewed three times in less than 48 hours yeah. in Lamont. But mm-hmm. so you guys offered me the job, and I thought, I don't know. I could either stay comfortable with the people I know, the community I know, where I student taught, where I've been for almost a decade, or I can like take a leap of faith and see what happens. So that was the most defining moment for my career.
1: Yeah. I remember the moment meeting you. And I remember thinking, number one, she looks like Jennifer Lopez. That was (laughs) the first thing I thought. Number two, I thought, uh, she is exuding confidence, not cockiness, confidence, And you had some of the absolute best stories about working with kids of any person who I've ever ever interviewed.
0: Well, it's funny because they called me and said, can you come back at 9 a.m. tomorrow meet with the superintendent to do your final (laughs) interview? And I said, no. And the person that (laughs) called me was like, what? And I said, I can come later than that. But I have a kid who I love. And he... Was spe- he had special abilities and he was on, um, he came in on a different transportation system and he would not get off the bus actually unless I met him outside with a wagon and pulled him down the hall and pretended like it was a choo-choo train. <laughs> and I had to like pull him and go choo-choo for him to like go into his classroom mm-hmm. And he could be very, very violent if his structure was, you know, messed up in any capacity. Yeah. And so when they had asked, I said, I can't go because I need to get him off the bus. And if I don't get the job, I don't get the job. And like, I'll see you later. Yep. So then I said, I can come at 1030. I can come at 1230. I can make anything work, but I got to get him in the building in the morning. Otherwise, I'll have a really terrible day. But you asked, that was the first question you asked. Me. I did. And I was like, oh, here we go. She's going to be like, why'd you make me wait? You no. Know? <laughs> <laughs> That's not
1: true. I did think that. I was like, okay. didn't I ask you to step outside, and then I invited you back in and said, "I need you to take this job." Yeah, you did. You were like, yeah. "Can you go
0: outside?" I and never knew that. And I was like, oh. well, "Go outside." So I went outside, and then you actually actually offered me the job, and I said, "Can I think about it?"
1: Yeah. And then I was mad. Yeah. Because I was like, "What do you need to think about?" And then I remember saying to the principal, "Have you heard from her yet? Have you heard mm-hmm. from her?" Because I just felt like we, we needed you. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that that was a defining moment. I'm glad that I asked that question. Cause I, I felt like that was a defining moment for that school district. So, and you've done really great work. So yeah,
0: that was a big defi- And I wanted to give full transparency. I did really respect and appreciate the administration I had in my previous Mm -hmm. school district. And I had interviewed so fast and got the job before I was even able to tell everyone. So I wanted to be able to sit down and say, I'm taking this opportunity. Here's why I want you to hear it from me before you hear it from somebody else. You didn't want to burn a bridge. Yeah. Yep. Because I was like, you didn't do anything to me. So, so what regrets do you have in your life? Oh, my whole life. Wow. That's a really big question. You know, I, these are all questions you can't ask me. Okay. Well, I have that one on my <laughs> list. Shut up. So, um, wow. I think I regret when I was in college and even sometimes as an adult spending time wondering or worrying what people think about me. I I've grown mm-hmm. out of that, but I found that I've spent an exuberant amount of time, especially in my early twenties going back to like, do people think it's weird that you're so young and you're doing these different things? Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I spent a lot more time not putting myself out there thinking that, well, who am I to go ahead and do this? Mm -hmm. But I do think those experiences shaped who I am right now. So I wouldn't necessarily say I regret them. I just think that they were larger life lessons.
1: So you don't uh, talk about your childhood much. Okay. Even with me, Right. Even though we know each other very, <laughs> very well. So I'm wondering if you want to share a little bit about your childhood with <laughs> our listeners. Dodger,
0: Phil. Um, no, I'm Barbara Walters. Yeah, you're Barbara Walters. I forgot. Or here. I actually heard something about that, but I'll share it later. Okay. Um, Okay. So I grew up in Oak Forest parents, mom, dad, little sister. Both my parents always worked. My mom was a nurse. My dad was in construction. Um, I went to public school my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents got along. They had two really great families. Um, my dad got sick when I was six, seven. Um, and then he progressively just got worse. He passed away when I was 11. And then my mom raised my sister and I, and mm-hmm. my mom worked all the time. Um, cause she had to, but I think that that's also where I learned my independence, my confidence, my, no one's going to help you. You got to do this for yourself. Mm-hmm. And not in a bad way, but just like a a really like if you want something, you have to advocate for it. And I think that time is something that I think people take for granted a lot, but I think a lot of the time I'm healthy, I'm able, why would I not try and help somebody else? You know, you get that perspective. You probably feel that way about your dad after you've seen that.
1: I do, but I have a different experience because I was able to have my dad for
0: oh yeah, a large a large
1: much. part yeah. my life and you were not.
0: I think losing a parent is one thing. I think the impact losing a parent has on those around you is another story. What do you mean? Like, I think you losing a parent as a kid is its own entity, mm-hmm. but then you think about like, you know, uh, my mom losing her spouse, my sister losing her dad, being surrounded by people that have different, you know, uh, what is the word experiences to that? I think is very life altering and shaping for the kind of person you are. I think it shows like what you do when times get hard and how you move forward. How do you feel like losing your dad
1: at a young age has influenced you?
0: I feel like, so my dad was 37 when he died. Mm. So I'm going to be 34. That's right. I forgot my age again. (laughs) How old am I? Yeah. How old am I? I'm going to be 34. And I think all the time, like at this point in time in my dad's life, he had brain cancer for like the 12th time. And so he slowly lost his ability to walk, to talk. He had seizures a lot. Like there was a lot of things taken away from him where I always think I'm going to wake up and go for a run because I can, I'm Mm going to wake up and go help somebody because I have the ability to still talk and rationalize and do those things. I think that I am better at being determined and saying, if I'm confident and able, and I can figure it out, why would I not go back and get my doctorate? Why would I not make a podcast? Why would I not write a book? Mm-hmm. Um, where I think other people might have more reservations about that. But I think you'll, you really only have one life. And at any time you can get sick, you can be in an accident, you can die. And at the end of the day, you got to do what makes you happy.
1: How are you different than your mom and your sister?
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um my mom is wonderful but she is um she would tell you she hates change. She has had the same job for 30 something years. She married my dad after they were high school sweethearts. My mm. mom is very like set in her ways where she's like this is the path I chose and this is the path I'm going to ride out. Where I'm more like I chose this path for a while and it's no longer working for me so I'm going to make a new one. Mm. Um and I think that that it, we are vastly different in that area. My sister Um, was even younger when my dad passed away. And she is very smart, very determined. She's a great mom. Um, We are alike, but we're also very different because my sister does like consistency and stability Mm -hmm. where I'm like, if it offers consistency and stability, great. But if it doesn't, I'm going to go find it somewhere else. (laughs) That sounds bad. No. What, in what way? I think in work, in life, those of you that know me probably don't know this. Well, if you don't know me, My husband and I dated for 10 years (laughs) and we love each other and he's my best friend, but there was a very long period of time in our life where he said, I don't want the same things you do. And for a while, you know, some people were saying, but you love each other and that's all that should matter. So shouldn't just the time together, you know, be great. And I was like, maybe for you, but not for me. And I moved. And I was like, that's not what I want. So if you can't give it to me, I'll find somebody who can. Hmm. And in my career, it's like, I'll do things to help other people, help kids help whomever I'm with. And then if I feel like I'm stuck and I no longer have my creativity, my individuality, my ability to reach people and also be direct, then I don't need to stay. And I think that that's a luxury because mm. I think too many people are tied to a paycheck and not what they really want to do. Yeah, that's true. Right. What would
1: people be surprised to know about you?
0: Well, these are a lot of questions. <laughs> what? I mean, you have a lot. I know. Um, okay. Mm. I'm surprised to know about me. I don't know. I think I say everything about myself. Don't you think? Maybe, but there's probably people listening
1: that think that they know you or.
0: Um, I would say I think that my biggest concern all the time when I go to work is making sure that the people that are there, staff and kids, always feel like that's a really a good place for them. And Mm. I always keep this quote in my office, be the person you needed when you were younger. And I Mm. think about that for my adults and for my kids. And I think that is my driving force behind all my decisions. So as much as I talk to my staff about data, as much as I talk to parents about that, at the end of the day, I think I really just want even my teachers, especially my teachers, to be the person they needed when they were younger too. And I think sometimes that's getting to know people on a really personal level and being okay talking to them about things that are maybe uncomfortable. Is that because you lost your dad at a young age? Uh, Partially, yes. And I also think that like school has such an impact on people and you have the beautiful ability to make someone's day. Like I think about myself as a kid. I was always a straight A kid. I never had a behavior concern. I never got a detention or went to Hmm. the principal's office. I very rarely had teachers that knew about my home life.
1: Yeah. I was going to want, I was going to ask you that. So that happens to you at a really, really young age. Now you're leading a building Mm -hmm. of kids that exact same age. What was that like for you when you went to school? Like nobody talks about it ever. No. Mm -mm. Okay.
0: Yeah. No one talks about it. And they were just like, okay. Like it was a very odd social work. Social emotional learning was not a thing. I did have a student and I will say I am very, and I know this about myself when we talk about trauma-informed instruction. I do have a student who recently lost his dad and I play basketball every day with him at 315 because Mm. I'm like, his dad used to play basketball with him. It's something I knew about him before his dad passed. And even if I'm super busy, I'm like, I gotta go. And I play in heels and Mm. we don't even talk about his dad, but I just feel like for the rest of his life, he might remember like, okay, this really crappy thing happened to me. And there was an adult that cared enough to talk about that. He has a great teacher who I can't say enough about. She is amazing. And she also has been really, really good about talking to him and, you know, doing all those things within the classroom that I can't do. But I think that we can do a better job at helping kids like that. So when that happened to you, what was it like for you coming back to school? So my dad passed away the day after school ended in June. Oh. So it was summer break. I did have a teacher that did come to my dad's funeral and I remember seeing her in the back and she still tells me to this day you and I was in fifth so I was just ended fifth grade going into sixth grade so going into middle school and she Mm -hmm. always says you read such a beautiful passage at such a young age in the middle of the church I was like you remember that yes totally remember her love her to Mm -hmm. this day she's a great human but that was it because you know there was like two months that go by and by the time you go back to school life Mm -hmm. is normal for everybody else but you yeah. You know, mm-hmm. people don't do a good job at that in school and it's no one's fault. It's just, they don't know. I hope people
1: out there are listening. Cause I know we have a lot of teachers listening. <clears throat> that's super important. Well, let's cut to the chase. Let's talk about your marriage. So let's talk about Tony. Okay, great. I do love Tony. And as you know, I'm your clergy. Yeah. You like, your marriage. badge. Oh, oh, that's my badge get out of here. Look, look at that clergy badge i'm gonna put this on while we have this discussion good okay great so i want you to tell me from your perspective Mm -hmm. what is the hardest part of your marriage being an administrator and just life in general maybe it has nothing to do with being an administrator but like what's the hardest part of your marriage
0: i think for me there's two things I, it, it's funny because I watch TV shows and Tony and I always laugh. Like people say, oh my gosh, marriage is so hard. And I, we have not exhibited that in our marriage yet. Mm-hmm. We've exhibited that when we were dating where we both wanted mm. different things and couldn't figure out a good way to communicate. So I have found the key to fixing that is not saying I'm annoyed or I'm bothered by you or don't talk to me. I usually say, I need attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it is. Like clear, direct, concise. This is where we're at. I do think being an administrator, it's not being an administrator. It's being an administrator, it's being a full-time student, it's doing a podcast, it's writing a book, it's checking in with my staff every time they need to be checked in with, it's being a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a friend, all of those things combined, but then still making the person you're with feel important. Mm -hmm. That's hard. And it goes back to time management and self-management. So Mm -hmm. what's important right now?
1: Let me ask you this. Okay. So if you're going to go get a superintendency. Yeah. Is there something in the back of your mind that thinks when you interview with the Board of Education, when you interview with the search firm, let's pretend that you were just going to leave an interview somewhere that people are going to be wondering, does she have kids? What's her path? (laughs) What is she going to do? Because I always find it interesting when I go places that people who know us well and people who don't know us will say to me, so like, is Kate going to have kids? And it Mm. fascinates me because I am very protective, obviously of you and our friendship, but I'm just wondering, I'm sure there's people out there listening. So what is your take on that? Because I feel like there's probably a lot of women who are around your age in the exact same position Mm -hmm. who are dink wads, wads. double (laughs) income, no kids with a dog. That's a dink wad, everyone, if you've been listening to our previous episodes. But how do you feel about that?
0: Um, I think, A, if you have, if I interview, I hope you think the same thing about a male that gets interviewed, because I have found that I think women are fantastic multitaskers, nothing against males, but I think that that question doesn't come up and sometimes I think that they're less organized and less able to rationalize those things in their life. I think if somebody asks me that when I interview, I'm going to be totally honest. With they're you. never going to ask you that. No, but think gonna, yeah, but I'm going to yeah, say it. They probably. might. Yeah. I'm
1: not saying that. I'm going to ask
0: you the, tell us about yourself. Maybe mm-hmm. that question. It's just like when you get into a thing, I would probably say, hey, this is who I am. This is my experience. This is what I think, you know, I bring to the table professionally. Personally, you should know. I'm a dinkwad and I have a bulldog and no, I don't have kids yet. And if it does ever happen for me, you'll be the first people to know, I'm going to invite you to my baby shower and it's not going to affect my ability to leave the school district.
1: Yeah. And that last part's the key piece Yeah, because with men and in, in my opinion, and what I've even you and I offline have had conversations that people are going to automatically make that assumption, whether you choose to have children, mm-hmm. you don't choose to have children. Um, And we even talked to Jen Woodland about this in our interview with her. I just feel like it's always in the back of people's minds when it comes to women. So if a male is interviewing and let's pretend Mm -hmm. that they, he doesn't have any kids or let's pretend that he's got four kids who are super young at home. Nobody thinks about that. No, but for a female, they are, especially when you are accelerating through leadership.
0: Yeah, I do think that's a problem, but I also think that it's, let's talk about the representation of females on a school board. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's another piece where I think, I mean, I'm not saying it would be any better or worse, but I just think in general, it's good to know your audience when you're going in. Yeah. Yeah. So, and here's the thing. I'm very, very happy with what I do right now. And I love my building and I love that I have the ability to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Work with kids. Courtney's currently rolling her eyes at me. Um, but I do think that when I go and interview for superintendency, when that time comes, I'm gonna be very blunt and honest because that's my personality. And if it's not a good fit for them, then that's okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, and if it's not a good fit for you, it's okay. Well, right. Which yeah. is which is something that I, I wish we could continue to talk about yeah. with people because. There have been plenty, you don't take the job just to have the title the job. because then you're going to be completely miserable. Yeah. And we see so many talented women. It's what Dr. Marty said. Mm. What is our biggest issue with women in leadership? That there's not enough of us.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And when there are women in leadership, we do a really good job of tearing them down. Yeah, exactly. And making it seem like what they're doing is not valuable or they're bitchy or they're ignorant or they're whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you ready? It's my turn.
1: Okay. No, I have oh. one more question. Okay, great. I'm gonna end with my Barbara Walters question. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Uh Kate Coach is determined. Determined.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Do you want to say anything else about that?
0: No, I think that it's that's how I am. And if I'm gonna do something, I'll just do it.
1: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, did I have great questions? Are you ready? You
0: yeah, you really did. I'm
1: feeling good about it. I think that we should press pause and go fill up our perception oh, yeah, before it. we we'll come, come back. back. Okay.
0: okay, all right, yeah, that was good. Good. Okay. We're back. We had to fill up. Yeah, we're back. We have our Mm -hmm. Prosecco and blue moon ready. And here's the moment you all want to know. I'm about to interview Courtney Mm -hmm. Orzel, Dr. Courtney Orzel. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ready? Yep. Here's your first question. This is easy. You have been in leadership for a lot of years now. (laughs) If you had to pick your top two moments in leadership, what would they be and why? This is hard. Yeah. Okay. Well, so one of my top
1: moments in leadership would probably be something to do with my last superintendency. It would just have to be, I think it would be when we decided to convert a vacant school into a haunted house, which Mm. was an idea from the board of education. And I remember calling the attorney saying the board wants to convert this vacant school into a haunted house. And he's like, are you trying to get fired? Like, what are you talking about? I said, they think it's a great idea. I think we should support it. I was really early on in my superintendency. And I remember the first meeting that we had with volunteers and there were 300 people sitting in the gym and we did not have really a great reputation in the community because of our history as a school district. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking around the room thinking, we have police here, we have fire here, we have administration here, we have the high school here, we have parents here, we have students here, we have the Board of Education here. And I thought, wow, this is a moment that we're going to bring everybody together. It might be the craziest idea on the planet, but really shout out to the board that said, I think we can do it. We ended up doing it. They put a ton of work into it. Our administration put a ton of work into it. And I remember after that first week thinking, that was really cool. Maybe things are starting to change for us. And then we mm. ended up getting the Governor's Hometown Award project in the state of Illinois for that particular project. Oh, yeah. So okay. I would say, and it's not about the award. It was more about rebuilding a community. So mm-hmm. that would be one of them. Okay. The other like, defining moment of leadership. Yeah. So I think the other defining moment of leadership is when I sat in my superintendent's office, I was a very young principal, naive, had no idea what I was doing. And I remember her looking at me saying, you're going to go back to the University of Illinois, you're going to get your doctorate, you're going to become a superintendent. And then my hope is that you will replace me when I retire eight years from now. And I laughed. I was like, you are so crazy. But I remember what I was wearing. I remember what she was wearing. I remember the conversation. And as much as I thought to myself, I'm never going to do that. And I said to her, all I want to do is be a high school English teacher. I remember getting up and walking out and driving home thinking, if she thinks I can do that, maybe I can.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: And that really has catapulted my entire career.
0: Way to go, Margot! Right? Yeah. She's,
1: yeah, she, she's a supporter of women and she supported me all along the way. And she really put me on a path to think I, I can do this and maybe this is what my next step was. And she still supports me to this day.
0: I love that. Yeah. That's such a good story. Those
1: would be my two defining moments in, in leadership thus far. And there's so many others, obviously, but
0: like the first two that you're like, yeah, this is off the top of
1: my head. Those would be two that I think have really empowered me.
0: Okay. Conversely. Oh no. What is the biggest regret in your career to date? Mm. And how would you fix it or give advice to people out there?
1: (laughs) Well, one, I, I, I don't know if I'd say regret, but I would say missteps. I've had a lot of missteps. I've certainly had regrets as well, but I think one of my biggest missteps leadership wise was when I did work for Margaret and I became a building principal. It was my first principalship. I only had two years of an assistant principalship. Mm
0: -hmm. Prior
1: to that, I only had five years of teaching experience. And I remember my first institute day being a building principal. And the night before I went in, I did all of these bags. I made all the school colors, did all of this candy. And one of the things that my superintendent really wanted me to do was to not break up the teams that currently existed, but get people to really start connecting outside of their teams at a middle school. Cause you know, in a team, you're really kind of, this is this team. This is that team. So I reset the entire room and put people with people who they would never sit with.
0: Oh, were they mad people hate place cards?
1: Basically, yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so I decided this is really gonna be great. I don't know anyone. I come in, I reset this whole room. I'm there till like 11 o'clock at night, get back the next morning, here we go. I've got this PowerPoint. I'm like, oh, this is you know my husband, Jeff, and this is my dog, Winston. This is, you know, Winston's picture. I love my Shih Tzu. And my superintendent had told me that they had not been having staff meetings, but she wanted me to make sure that we had staff meetings. Oh,
0: okay.
1: So I decided to launch at that first meeting. Oh, and by the way, we're all going to have staff meetings. We're going to meet before school at the beginning of the day, since we're all coaches after school, but we're going to meet like early on, which, which contractually we could do. Right. But I just laid all of this out on day one.
0: Oh. Okay.
1: And I had, I know you're thinking that was a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah, And it was. So I remember this was years and years ago. Oh God. So I used to do this thing called the quality quadrant suggestions, concerns, questions, kudos, everyone handwrite on a post-it note, all these things. And then they would put it up and then anonymously they could say whatever they wanted to say, which I still believe in to this day. So I decided that I was going to put it in my office and I would look at it later that night. And I remember Jeff calling me that night, probably at eight 30 or nine o'clock. And he's like, Hey, are you coming home tonight? Like what's going on? It was my first day Oh, dear. and I was sobbing. I was just sobbing. And he's like, Oh my God, what's
0: wrong? And I'm like, these people hate me.
1: Oh. This is terrible. I mean, there was a post-it note that said like, we don't give a, anything about your dog um we aren't coming in and meeting early you know you you have no idea you know you just sprung this on i mean it was just it was bad it was just bad and i hated it i regretted it i wish i would have handled it differently there was obviously a better way a better time but i was a really young principal and i felt like i needed to prove something i mean i certainly had the support of my superintendent but she would have probably handled that very differently. And now looking back, I was like, I don't know what I was thinking in that moment. And then you're talking about my dog. So I'm upset about that. <laughs> this poor little Shih tzu. I mean, I was really upset about it, yeah. you know, because I didn't have children of my own at that time. So then I was a dink.
0: Yeah. You were a dink-wad actually.
1: I was a dink-wad. Yeah, <laughs> I was a double income, no kids with a dog. I, I, dog. So <clears throat> that would probably be one of my biggest Regrets Because I don't think it set me up for the type of success that I'm, I'm not saying I was unsuccessful there. I ended up being the superintendent in that particular district. But if I could go back, I would have handled things a lot differently.
0: That's mean that they did that. That makes me feel sad.
1: No, I don't think it was, you know what I think it was. I mean, sure. Like it's mean to say like, we hate your dog type thing. Yeah. And it wasn't everybody. It was more, they were, they didn't know me.
0: Yeah.
1: I didn't know them. Now, I'm changing their whole schedules when they do have children, they do have a routine, and I didn't give them even time to think about it. So, I probably could have waited at least a week.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I probably could have waited a week, but yeah, it was sad about Winston. Winston. R.E.P. Winston.
0: Sorry, Winston. Okay. So, everybody that knows you knows you are a huge supporter in women in leadership. Mm -hmm. You've been nominated for all these awards, you do a great job. You really actually, that is one of the greatest strengths about you is that you are not like a mean girl where you, you really do celebrate and elevate women. So if you had to pick out of all the things you've done so far in your career, what do you think is your biggest impact on women in leadership and why?
1: Yeah, well, I haven't won a lot of awards. I was only up for one and I lost. Well, So listen, when you become a finalist, you're a loser is what that means, but I'm cool with that because I lost to the National Humanitarian of the Year. But my greatest accomplishment or the thing I'm most proud of with women in leadership is really setting a stage for other women to come together and have really difficult conversations about how hard the work really is in their personal lives and their professional lives and that we don't have to be mean to each other. Mm -hmm. So I believe that I've been put in that space to be able to create the space for other women and share my own experiences. And I think in turn, because of that, um, people have felt comfortable doing that, but I will say, I mean, I'm not a fan of everyone. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I know that there have been women who have been absolutely vile and mean to me. And we, as women, as we know from Dr. Marty, we harbor resentment and it's hard for us to let that go. I try not to, I recently supported someone, um, in the field, that I thought deserved this opportunity, even though that she's not been personally nice to me, but professionally, like I can separate those two things years ago. I don't think I would have been able to do that, but now that I have a daughter and I have a lot of years of experience and I see things differently because I work for the superintendent's association. I think I'm better about that. It doesn't make that it's, it doesn't mean that it's easy. I'm not friends with everyone.
0: Yeah. Right. Like,
1: um, there are certain people that I'll sit down and have a drink with, and there's other people that I'm not interested in having a drink with. And I think that that's okay. It doesn't mean that I don't support you and I'm not going to elevate you, but there's a line of that. I think it would be ridiculous if we were like, Hey, we're nice to everyone. We love everyone. I might be nice to everyone. That doesn't mean I like everybody don't confuse kindness for weakness. It's that type of environment, I think. But my personal belief is that I think that my greatest accomplishment in that work so far, because I think there's still a lot of work to do, is that I'm creating a space for other women to come together Mm -hmm. and share their successes, their challenges with each other and make those connections. Um, And I think that I'm put here to put that space out there for people because I think we have to be really intentional about it.
0: I do agree. And you know what this reminds me of is you're probably going to be like, why are you talking about this? But I remember when I first um, started working with you and Mm -hmm. we were at a conference and you weren't in the room, it was myself and somebody else. And a female, you know, was talking to us about like working with you. And they had asked like, Hey, I heard that this is going on in Courtney's personal life. Like, you know, I heard she's getting a divorce. Like, what is that like? What does that make you feel like? Now, when you think about women going up to other people, it pisses me off. Yeah.
1: I'm really pissed about that. Yeah. Uh, I, it's not the first time I've heard that. I actually don't think that you and I have ever had that conversation. So, <laughs> so that's just another female deciding to insert herself into my personal life. But anyone that knows me, um, should know that my two kids are the most important thing on the planet and that Jeff and I put my kids first and our kids first, and that we do everything for them. And you actually know my children Mm -hmm. very, very well. And in my mind, I think any female that's willing to put herself out there and have a conversation at dinner with wine and insert herself into my personal life when I'm not physically sitting there to be able to respond should go check herself. Because if, and when I find out who those people are, I'm just going to simply walk up to them and say, I heard you were asking about my divorce, my personal life like did you want to talk to me about that cuz i'm happy to. I think as females um nobody knows what happens behind closed doors and i think we have to be a lot better about that but my initial response when i even hear you say that and you've never told me this, and we will talk offline about that Kate. Um but my initial response is it really really upsets me because um i know the people in my life who i would take in my confidence to be able to behind my back, go and support me mm-hmm. and not engage in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've and i been put in that position with other women and I will not engage with that because I know what it feels like and yeah. it's terrible.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, this is good.
1: Are these questions well, over
0: yet? No, they're not over. I have like five more. And I did tell you about that one. You're, I don't
1: you know, remember that. I, I remember that, that about another administrator. Yeah. And in fact, I can think of three other administrators.
0: Well, that's the same situation, the one you're thinking of in your head right now you were there too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you already knew about it. So we like, I knew about, about it. I like, yeah. just didn't know you were there. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I was like in the background, I wasn't like engaging in the conversation, but it's I heard it. It's was not like, okay. Oh, it's weird.
1: it's really I not okay. We
0: never go up to somebody and be like, Hey, tell me about so-and-so's like, I don't know. Relationship you know what I, I
1: appreciate like. in that moment though, is that that particular person that was asked about that
0: mm-hmm. denied
1: the conversation and shut it down. Yes. And that's when I knew that I could absolutely trust that person because that, tr- that person did have a lot of personal information about me that I chose to share with him. With
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This Move on. All right. Let's talk about, so you asked me about when you get a job or if I ever got a job and people ask me about having kids or not having kids, you have kids mm-hmm. and you have been a superintendent. You've been a principal. Mm-hmm. You're now working for ISA as the director of professional development. Let's talk about being a mom but also being a strong woman in leadership. So how has that helped you? How has it hurt you? And what Mm. lessons have you learned from that?
1: Yeah. So it's helped me because I think I'm raising a daughter that looks at me and and I'm hoping, thanks. I have a great mom. Um, Because at the end of the day, I think I've been really great professionally. I've done a lot of cool, amazing things, but What I really want is for my daughter and son to say, I have a great mom. So I found a piece of paper in her um, folder and it said, or in the back of her yearbook, and it said, my hero is, and she wrote my mother, which really struck me because sometimes at nine years old, she's not very nice to me. She (laughs) (laughs) She can really be a person who loves to argue with me, but I think because of the work that we do, I've learned a lot along the way from people like PJ Mm Kaposi. I actually just heard a really great female speaker that works for Aflac. And she was talking about that when, because she travels so much that she comes home and she will say to her two kids, guess what I got to do today. Mm -hmm. And she talks about what she was able to do and celebrates when she's not there instead of saying, I'm so sorry I missed this. I'm so sorry I missed that. And I thought, wow, that I need to do that. Because missing your kid's first day of school, missing their picture day, missing all this stuff because you're at work is, um, I think, the other piece that I would say is the hardest part of being a working mom. And I don't think you have to be an educator to do that. I think, I don't think it's about leadership. I think it's just about being a mother. And I think as moms, we put everything on Mm ourselves. So when I'm out of town and it's time for the Valentine's day party and Jeff is going to be the person, the parent that's there doing the games with the kids, I'm going to make sure that I have 20 perfect poppets in their Mm -hmm. cellophane bags with a perfect bow on it. And on top of it, I've already made all of her Valentine's boxes and done all of that. And it took hours and hours and hours. And I probably said a lot of swear words, yelling at those bags, but I think we put that pressure on ourselves. So I could take a lot of advice from PJ Mm Kaposi that, you know, this idea that you can be really great being a mom. You can also be really great being a superintendent, but at some point, sometimes I'm really probably not a great mom because I'm so focused on my job. But I do hope that my kids will look back and say, my mom really worked her tail off and loved us and helped us and did all of these great things for us and tried to give us everything that we could. Um, But I also heard a female say recently that she felt that her parents, even though how great that they were, they used to say things to her like, I'm working so much so that you can have this. I'm working. And she said, and I grew up feeling like I was a burden. Oh. So now I'm shifting my idea that I'm not going to say, well, I'm doing all of this so that you can go do this. No, I'm doing this because I really love it. Yeah. And this is a passion for me and I want you to figure out what's a passion for you and go find that. I'm going to help you do that. So okay. I think that I think a lot of women struggle with that because we feel like we have to be everybody to everything all the time. And I I struggle with it every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Like okay. today. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Every day.
0: There we are. Okay. I've met both of your parents, your mom and your dad, and they both are magnificent humans. They have totally different characteristics of each other. So if you have to take or attribute one of your traits to each of your parents, what would it be and why?
1: Dang, this is a good one. I wish I would have asked you this. Um, (laughs) Well, I'll start with my dad. So my dad uh, was just a fun man. He loved experiences. He loved people. He loved storytelling. Um, he certainly loved Bud Light. Mm, Right. Uh, he just, he loved people and he loved really being around people. And I think that is how I mirror my dad in so many ways. My mom is, uh, an absolute cheerleader. Mm -hmm. She, um, if, you or I needed anything. Yeah. She's going to give us anything that we want in the <laughs> moment that we want. I always said she should have been a nurse mm-hmm. Um, or she should have been like a veterinarian because she loves nature. She loves people like taking care of people and she loves animals. She's just a caregiver. So I think I'm much like her in that particular sense mm-hmm. in so many ways. And I think for with both of my parents, I think that they absolutely had the best work ethic. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like I've adopted both of their work ethic and very, but my parents are so different in so many ways, but they also had deep respect for each other. They were married 61 years before my dad died. Yeah. You know, that's commitment, that's loyalty. And I think that I've, um, I think that I've mirrored a lot of that in my work life so much um, I don't think that I'll ever be as good of a parent though, as either of my parents were, I feel like they just were the ultimate sacrificers. And I think that I always struggle with, well, because I work so much and because of that, but I'm trying to not do the comparison piece, Yeah. but my parents, you know, had me later in life. And so they were older How parents. Old my dad was 36 and my mom was 33. Oh. And they tried for years, okay. you know, and back then that, yeah, that wasn't later. a thing. Yeah. And so even the last time when I, when my mom actually was pregnant with me, the doctor laughed and was like, mm, cause she had had so many miscarriages and it was so yeah. bad. She was, they were actually getting ready to adopt Oh. if, if that didn't work out. And then there's me. So yeah, I was an only child. Sorry. Yeah. And here I am. And I think because of that, my parents poured every single piece of their life into you, into me.
0: hmm Yeah. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when your dad took us around your old town in his car, Yeah, like three years ago. Was that fun? Yeah. And the car that he built, right?
1: Uh, It was my grandpa's. It was the only new car that my grandpa ever had. It was a 64 Chevy Impala Sportster is what I think it is. And then it's the only new car that my grandpa ever had and it was in a flood and my dad took it and had it completely my renovated. Dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he
0: took us all around Clinton and we saw where Courtney went to elementary school. We saw their first house. We went to snappers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then when my dad died, that was the car that the pallbearers yeah. drove, which yeah. was nice.
0: And he was like, really taking us around in that car. And we were taking all the pictures in the back. We
1: he was super proud time. of it. I saw videos of that. Yeah. That yeah. was so fun. Yeah.
0: Okay. Biggest misconception that people have about you. you, What do you think that is? Oh,
1: um, I think there's probably a couple. I think one is that I'm super confident, which I'm really not. Um, I think that's probably one of them. I think another is that I've got it all together or that I'm just, oh, so successful or that I really love all this attention or people are like, oh, Dr. Rosal did this or Dr. Rosal did that, that I really, really enjoy it. No, that's not it at all. I don't, I don't enjoy that. Um, PJ said he was an introvert by nature, and so am I. Mm -hmm. I would much rather, and you know this because like when you and I go out, I will say things to you like, let's go somewhere where we're not gonna know anyone or that we think we might not know anyone. Not because I don't like talking to people, but there are some times where I'm like, if we're gonna go out, I just want to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. And
1: I'll position myself even in a room that I don't have to see anybody or anything. So I think that's probably part of the misconception. There's probably a misconception that I'm super intimidating and that I'm a bitch. Mm-hmm. I think that um some people might get that impression from me and so I've tried to be more cognizant okay. of that, but yeah. I am who I am. I mean, yeah. when when we interviewed with Diane, I just am who I am. I don't want to be fake. If I don't like you, I don't like you and we can move on from it. I don't have to like you. Yeah. And it's okay. I'm not going to be disrespectful to you, but if I don't like you, I'm not going to spend my time on you. Yeah. And if I do, I'm going to spend my time on you.
0: Yeah. Then we're going to hang out. It should be okay. Okay. Best job. Here's what you can pick from, right? I have a choice. Yeah. You have choices. You've had multiple jobs. Okay. I mean, the best job I've had. Yeah. Like if you had to pick, this is the best job and this is why
1: all of my jobs have been the best job for very different reasons. Okay. When I was a middle school English teacher, it was the best job because I was with kids every single day. Okay. I'll never forget that a girl um, started her period oh. um, during class and she was wearing a beautiful all white outfit. Oh. I'll never forget that I saw her walking back and I saw it and I came up to her so that nobody else knew. And I remember taking off my blazer. I was oh. wearing a blazer yeah. 26 years ago. And I remember putting it on her and I was like, Hey, listen, you just got called to the office and we walked outside. And so we had this really great conversation. I remember her looking at me and she started crying and she was like, thank you for protecting me. I will never forget that moment. And I thought, wow, because you know, like Mm -hmm. as a girl, how wildly embarrassing that would be for everybody to see. So I think that, um, being a middle school English teacher was really cool being with kids, high school English teachers, cause it's the only thing I ever wanted to do.
0: Okay.
1: And I got locked into doing something with a high school, being a high school play director, which everyone's like, you're so dramatic. There's no surprise. I'm like, actually, no, I had no, I mean, yeah, I never I stood on stage. Try. I wasn't a director, but what was really cool about that is that I had kids that took over that whole program. Mm-hmm. And those kids ended up going to like NYU, like all this stuff. One of them sang at my wedding. I mean, like I'm talking talented kids that I would have never had an opportunity to be with otherwise. So that was the way that was the best job. My assistant principalship, um, because I had a principal who took a chance on me that I had no experience with five teaching years. And he was like, you can do this. And I probably worked with some of the coolest people ever. I worked with this teacher, Jerry Garvey, and she, I was like, how long you been doing this? 40 years. I'm like, are you going to retire? She's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to. I was like, okay. She was an exemplary teacher during Sobel. Um, just like really great people, the social worker that was there. I just remember thinking, you know, when you work with people and you think every day, it's really great. Yeah. That's how I felt in that moment. And then became a principal.
0: Just so you know, you're cheating right now. I said one, no,
1: (laughs) I have to say because each of them were great. And my principalship was great because uh, it taught me that, um, there were just going to be people in your life and in your world that didn't believe in you and you could do it and that you could build really great relationships. And then I became a superintendent, you know, from yeah. just, that was amazing. And now the work that I do now, I just have a different lens. Here's the thing. I've never done the same thing twice. That's why it's hard for me to choose.
0: Oh, that's a good perspective. Because
1: every single one of those jobs are wildly different and that's why, and I have, um, met so many great people along the way. I still talk to people from the very first teaching job that I ever, I've talked to people from every job I've ever had. And I've never done the same thing twice. I've never made a lateral move.
0: Okay. That's good.
1: So that's why I can't say which I agree
0: with that. I don't think people should do that. (laughs) I I really don't. I agree. Yeah. I I agree. Unless it's for an intrinsic reason that like has to do with your family or your beliefs. I don't think you should do it. it.
1: there have been bad parts about every job I've ever had. Oh yeah. And I think we all can admit that, but honestly, I've been, I've been really, really lucky, but I've had very different jobs for each one.
0: That's true.
1: Okay. And now I'm a professional
0: podcaster. Yeah. Now you're a professional podcaster. Okay. So you've done all these jobs. You've been all over. What's your end goal? If you have to say, Mm -hmm. if I could do anything in the scope of like leadership, women in leadership, using your talents to truly Build or do something that you feel like would impact a lot of people, what would that be?
1: I don't know. What? Is that an answer? I don't know. I because I think that the possibilities are endless. I think the work that we're doing right now in Illinois is so great, but I just see it even bigger starting this women in leadership cohort and hearing people's stories. I think there's so many opportunities. I don't know, like women's retreats with women in leadership, I think would be so great. I think we have so much work to do with leadership in general. I think we have to do work with school leadership. I think we need to do work with our teachers. I think we need to be inspiring female teachers to get into the pipeline. I think we still have female versus female hate that exists. Um, I think we have people that have age bias, gender bias, racial bias, all those things that I just can't stand. So part of my hope is to become a professional podcaster and our okay. book's going to go viral. Yeah. We're going to have a national best-selling book. We're going to do all these amazing things. And um, my, my hope is that we continue to build this momentum by some of the cool things that we're doing, but I think we have to be intentional about it. No mm-hmm. one's going to give us a seat at the table, girlfriend. Hey, that's right. And people might always try to diminish and dim our sparkle, just yeah. right. Like our sparkle sister would say, but I think we have to just keep pushing. And so I don't know what the future holds with that, but I do hope that people come along the movement and continue to help us along the way. I don't know. That's probably not the answer you were looking for. No,
0: that's good. I mean, it was like an all-encompassing, I don't know, but I want to do this. Otherwise,
1: I just want to be on the Today Show.
0: Uh, Yeah, we know. Because it's early in the morning. You can still take your kids to work and they do your hair and makeup. I actually thought about this a lot after you said it. It's true. No, I agree. I Mm -hmm. think that that's a really good... um,
1: It's the end goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay, I only have two questions left. So, you
1: were done like three questions ago. No,
0: that's how I felt. I felt like you had a lot of questions. Oh I have two left. Okay. okay. So, we often get people that write into us that say, I'm afraid to go into leadership. I'm worried. I'm a mom. I'm a busy. I don't think I can do it. Mm-hmm. And they give us all these different reasons why. And we're both really good at being like, just do it. Just take a step forward. Like you can, you absolutely can. Yeah. Is there a piece of advice or a cautionary tale or something you can tell people like, don't forget this about yourself before you go into leadership? Oh, I tricked you. This is good.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, if, if I could go back and tell myself something, or if I wanted to go say something to, to those women, I would say that you need to take your blinders off and you need to realize that there are absolutely going to be people around you. that are going to talk about you behind your back. Mm -hmm. There are going to be people that the stronger that you are, it will make them feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You need to realize that you can truly be genuine to people and be real Mm -hmm. and ask them about their personal lives and try to get, you know, and be, be who you are, but be intentional about being who you are. And it might take a little bit longer, but they will remember that, they, that you were seeing them as a person and that you were intentional about that piece. And I think that you need to realize that there's going to be people who will not see you the way that you see yourself. Oh. There will be people that will look at you and say, because she's young, she can't blank because she doesn't have kids. She can't blank. Because you could list all of it and that you need to stay away from those people and keep moving forward and find people like maybe the two of us, Mm -hmm. maybe somebody else in your life, but find the people that are going to help catapult and support you. I think that Denise and Loretta have been that for us. Mm -hmm. If we called both of our moms right now and said, we're going to go do this, even if they don't like the idea, they're still going to support it and they're not going to talk bad about us behind our back. That's what we really need. And I think that if I could go back, I would tell people you need to realize there's going to be naysayers behind you, no matter what and you need to keep going. You need to just be able to be who you are and own it, but still be kind, still be respectful, still be professional and don't burn a bridge, but also don't be blind to the fact that you absolutely know that there's women having drinks at a table talking about Mm -hmm. you and that you're going to see them next week. And you can still be kind and professional, but don't kid yourself. You're Keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was very good. It was? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I do feel that though.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I could tell you're passionate about this.
1: I am passionate about it. Um, I wouldn't have been as passionate about it 20 years ago as I am now.
0: Okay. Ready? Last question, two part. Mm. When Courtney Orzel started leadership, so I want you to think back when you were a teacher going into mm-hmm. um, your profession. Yeah. Courtney Orzel was blank, naive. Now, Courtney Orzel is confident. Okay.
1: Yeah. I'm much more confident, but I think that part of the misconception is people will assume my confidence is cockiness and that's not it -hmm. at all. I'm really hard on myself. And I think that there's always things we can be better at, but I wish I could have gone back. I would have made a lot of changes, but I'm also grateful about all the people that I've been able to connect with.
0: Mila Kunis had a great quote about being cocky and confident. Have Ooh. you ever heard it?
1: No, let's look it up.
0: Okay, hold on. I love her. And she is, I mean, I don't know her, but like, I think she'd be our friend.
1: <laughs> we should ask her to come on the podcast. We
0: should. Okay. Um, I don't know, because now I need to go look it up. But as you said that, she said confidence, not cockiness. Knowing who you are is confidence. Cockiness is knowing who you are and pushing it down everyone's throat. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I said before, and I think you're the exact same way. We don't have to like everyone, mm-hmm. but we can respect everyone. Oh yeah. And we know we're not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. We know that. Um, and we're okay with it.
0: Yeah. Because that's okay. what, if you
1: don't want to listen, don't listen, don't listen.
0: Yeah.
1: And we're okay with it. We're not asking you to
0: Right. And that's
1: unless you're from Pollyanna and you want to be
0: a sponsor. Unless you want to sponsor us, (laughs) we're into it. I do. I think that that comes with a lot. I mean, like when you think about your leadership trajectory in general, you've done so many different things for so many different people in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And you're not even close to retiring. I mean, you're like in the middle point of your career. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, what the No, I'm not. It's like when I thought I was younger than what
1: I was. Right. I'm not at the middle point, but thank you for saying that. Yeah.
0: But yeah, you are. No, I'm not. You don't think?
1: No. And when I retire, I'm going to retire.
0: Yeah. You need to. Yep. Yeah.
1: When I retire.
0: You're not going to be like Tom Brady.
1: I'm not going to (laughs) be. Yeah. I mean, I do believe that when I'm done, I'm done.
0: Yeah. When I'm done, I'm done. I
1: will have given to the profession and I'm going to be okay with that. And there's probably people who are retired that said the exact same thing and then they have like 50 different jobs and yeah. different stuff, but I love what I do. I love education. I've always loved education. I love leadership and I think there's still a lot of fun work to do, but I think that's why you you keep me energized as I continue down this this path and stuff. But when I retire, I want to retire.
0: Yeah, there's a lot do. of
1: stuff I want to do. That yeah, outside of work.
0: Okay, we love this. We're going to mm-hmm. interview you when that happens. I can't wait. We're going to say, where are you? What are
1: you doing? Do you want to invite us? <laughs> I won't. <laughs> and I'll say no.
0: I'll see how many vacation I'm days I have.
1: Yeah, I'm hiding.
0: Yeah, until we both become independently wealthy, That's podcast. right. I think you can just do all this all the time.
1: That's right. This was lovely. Thank you. Yeah,
0: thanks. Your...
1: Hey, good questions. The A, really great questions. I love it. Should we end with a sparkle spotlight?
0: We should. Let's, Let's give our it. girls some time.
1: All right. Let's hear from Dr. Bhavna Sharma-Lewis, everyone. Hi, this is Bhavna Sharma-Lewis with today's Sparkle Spotlight. It is hard to stay motivated in our busy worlds and sometimes our thankless jobs. So you need to keep yourself motivated and celebrate, value, and recognize your accomplishments. At the end of each day, ask yourself these questions. Who did I help today? Who did I make smile today? What made me smile today?
0: What am I proud of accomplishing today? How am I going to be even better tomorrow? Watch the change happen when you create a more joyful you. Cheers to living your best life and sparkle on.